When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you play with matches, you can start a fire you can't control. You cannot insult your way to the presidency. If we nominate someone that half of the Republican Party hates, we're going to be fighting against each other all the way to November. Tonight's rally will be postponed until another day. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Today on the show, we'll be talking to longtime political analyst Jeff Greenfield. But first, after his Killer Tuesday night, here's the Donald to read us more of his latest tweets. Please explain to the dummies at the at WSJ editorial board that I love to debate and have won, according to Drudge, etc., all 11 of them. At WSJ is bad at math. The good news is nobody cares what they say in their editorials anymore, especially me. Stuart Stevens, the failed campaign manager of Mitt Romney's historic loss, is now telling the Republican Party what to do with Trump. Sad. In the last two weeks, I had 35 million of negative ads against me in Florida, and I won in a massive landslide. The establishment should save their money. Crazy Megyn Kelly supposedly had lying Ted Cruz on the show last night. Ted is desperate, and his lying is getting worse. Ted can't win. Trump needs 50-plus percent in every state to avoid a convention fight, says NBC's Chuck Todd. Trump's in decent shape to reach the required delegate count before the convention, according to Slate's own Jim Newell. The AP says he needs 54 percent of all the remaining delegates. It gets a little confusing, and there are a lot of possible scenarios. To help us sort through them, longtime political analyst Jeff Greenfield joins us on Trumpcast. Hey there, Jeff. How you doing? So Trump is out there arguing now that even if he doesn't have an absolute majority of delegates going into the convention, that if he has a plurality, if he has more delegates than anybody else, the nomination fairly belongs to him. And if they try to take it away from him, they'll be rioting in the streets, Which, by which he means I will cause there to be rioting in the streets. They're rioting at the convention. Is he right that, uh, that the nomination sort of belongs by tradition to whoever comes in with the most delegates, even if they don't have a majority? No, that is not the tradition. The problem with the people making the argument against Trump is you have to go back decades to when that was the norm. I mean, it was it was always in the old days, up until the birth of the primary system, the idea that, the, that people would come to the convention and the convention and the political leaders or bosses or brokers would figure out who the nominee should be. So you've had lots of conventions 
uh, in the past, uh, you know, you want to go back to 1860, where Seward <laughs> had the, the plurality on the first ballot? But the problem is in more recent times, when brokers have disappeared, pretty much it has never been the case that the person who came in with the most delegates wound up losing. That's largely because the person who came in with the most delegates often had way more than a majority. And what you get here, Jake, is I think a really fascinating argument about what's fair. The Trump people will say more people voted for Trump than any other candidate by far. The anti-Trump people will say more people voted against Trump than voted for him. And on that one, I think you can flip a coin. So, Jeff, let's play out the scenarios a little bit. Let's say Trump goes without enough delegates to to win it on the first ballot and it goes into multiple ballots. What could happen then? What's where, where does how does the decision get made? What happens? I can give you a definitive answer. <laughs> Nobody knows what the hell will happen. You know, let, let's play this out. You go to a second ballot and a great majority of the bound delegates are released. Not all like Florida says you have to stay with the candidate for three ballots. You have the scenario, I think one of your writers brilliantly laid out some of the weird things that can happen. You will have a lot of delegates there committed to voting for Trump who don't like Trump. The state says you have to vote for them on the first ballot, but they they are allowed to vote against Trump's interest on everything else. And so if state parties, many of whose officials have no use for Trump, have picked those delegates, they will desert Trump every minute they can on credentials or rules or whatever fights there are. Once you get into a second and third ballot, I'm now going to use a phrase you've never heard before. You are in uncharted water uh, or whatever the correct you know, oceanographic term is. The idea of, of a group of people meeting in a smoke-filled room to figure out what happens is unthinkable because apart from the fact that they'd be arrested for smoking, um, we don't know who they are. Maybe John Kasich is the broker with his, say he has a couple hundred delegates, or maybe Marco Rubio emerges and says, well, I know I suspended my campaign, but some of these people will listen to me. There is simply no way of knowing. The rules of the game that were in place up until 40 years ago have been destroyed. I don't know, I don't know what state chair knows how to make a parliamentary point of order. I think we're going to have to recruit journalists from old age homes. <laughs> Could you remind me what happened when Dewey faced Stassen? Uh, because some of these stories, believe it or not, are relevant. The, uh, you know, I went back and looked at the 1952 Republican Convention. And if, believe it or not, there are some parallels because the people behind Robert Taft controlled the convention machinery and were preparing to seek delegations from three states, enough to give Taft the nomination. The Eisenhower forces appealed back home to the people through this new medium called television and got enough public opinion roused up so that they couldn't do that. And that's why Eisenhower won the nomination. His delegations in three states were seated, and he went on to win the nomination. If that's what happened in the age of television, and the anti-Trump forces decide to play with the rules to deny Trump the nomination, and he's, let's say, got 45% of the delegates, what do you think the reaction on social media might be? Well, as Trump says, there could be a riot. Uh-huh. You know what I think is more likely? There could be a virtual riot, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, Jeff, I think you said if the party decides to change the rules. But aren't the rules at these conventions pretty fungible? I mean, they revisit the rules every four years, and they change right. them in various ways. And they're allowed to do that. Oh, absolutely. Um, if you're talking about the formal written rules, uh, every convention 
has to adopt them. And there's a you know there's a there's a rules committee, and then they, they can go to the floor of the convention. The one everybody's talking about is the, what is already now the uh, the iconic or infamous Rule 40, which says you have to have a majority of delegates in eight states or territories to even get your name put in nomination. So it's not inconceivable that by the time you got to the convention, only Donald Trump would have a majority in eight states. If that were true and the anti-Trump people were in charge of the machinery, they try to affect a change in that rule, and then it would go to the floor. What, what I'm getting at here, Jake, is if you and I were talking this way 60 years ago, well, I wouldn't be on a smartphone and you wouldn't have a podcast, but if we were having this conversation, it would make no sense because <laughs> the idea of candidates coming to a convention without a majority and losing the party brokers changing and affecting the rules, moving the, moving votes aside in the second and third and fourth ballot. That was the way it was done. Right. Nobody would be shocked. But it's because it's been so long since anything like that has happened, because the primary voters have picked every candidate since 1968, when Humphrey won without ever entering a, entering a primary. It seems like you're talking about another planet. But if the if the party can make whatever rules it, it, it wants, constrained only by some sense of fairness or what the reaction will be, why not? I mean, imagine a scenario in which there are some big scandals about Donald Trump between now and the nomination. Could the party? Well, yeah, 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 which well, seems more likely than not, right? Well, I'm thinking that you know, let's not be partisan. What about a, a criminal referral on Hillary Clinton? I, I don't think it's likely, but that you know the same situation applies there. If something happens between now and the convention in, in either party that requires the party not to go with the logical or likely nominee, sure they can change the rules, and they likely would. And could they change the rules to say that, you know the rule that says you have to you're bound on the first ballot? Uh, could you uh, could you add say a conscience clause? To say well, you're you're bound unless you feel really strongly that there's a, a moral reason why you can't vote for that person. Now you know I'm glad you asked that because you might remember a couple of decades ago I did a novel about the electoral college going bluey, and or you may not remember. <laughs> uh, and and the point there is every state has different rules about what its electors can do. Some are allegedly bound. Some are bound by conscience. It's not clear what would happen if an elector was faithless. Now the thing you're talking about is the following conundrum. These delegates are bound or unbound by state law. Now, the question is, suppose the convention did what, the, what Kennedy wanted the Democrats to do and unbind every delegate. Whatever the state law says, you can do whatever you want. Vote your conscience on the first ballot. Right. All right. Now, you tell me, so I'm a delegate from Florida. I really don't like Trump, but I'm bound to vote for him by state law. So if I don't vote for him, I come back, and as I get off the plane in <laughs> Tallahassee, the marshals, the, the cops are there to arrest me for breaking state law. And quite independent of legality, to whom do I owe the obligation? I signed on as a delegate under a state law that, in many cases, isn't supposed to vote for the guy. So you're almost talking like one of those Superman versus Captain Marvel fights. <laughs> uh, if you, I'm dating myself. You know, does the convention decide what the delegates can do? Remember, particularly with the Republicans, they are a Federalist party. They deeply believe in states' rights, right? So now that the national convention is going to tell a delegate to break state law, that's what you're going to be faced if that happens. And, and I, you know, when they tried this with the Democratic Party, the Carter forces who had the majority adopted, I know it sounds like a thing out of Fifty Shades of Grey, it's called the Bind and Yank Rule, <laughs> uh, which said that if any delegate does not vote the way he or she was supposed to, 
the state chair or the Carter campaign is allowed to pull that delegate out and supply an alternate who will vote the way they're supposed to. What would this fight actually look like? I mean, is it going to, on the convention floor, can you imagine a, it turning into a hockey game where, where everyone throws off their gloves and helmets and starts throwing punches? Or are these lawyers throwing briefs at each other? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, again, I'm going back to um, what happened in 1952 because it's the closest parallel I can find. You had lawyers presenting to the Rules Committee and then in, at the convention very detailed arguments about why their delegation should be seen. One of the lawyers, by the way, was John Minor Wisdom, who became a great federal judge in the South, may, played a crucial role in the civil rights movement. And th- that um, is his real name, by the way. It is indeed. But what, what, you're, what you also saw was the kind of, um, of upheaval, the kind of tumult uh, that makes many of us yearn for that convention. The, the most famous scene in that convention, you can find it on Google, is Ev Dirksen, the senator from Illinois, and a Taft supporter, knowing he was going down to defeat, pointing his finger at Tom Dewey sitting in the front row and saying about how he, even though he didn't agree with him, he campaigned for him, and he said to him, we followed you before, and you took us down the road to defeat. And the whole convention went nuts, booing and cheering and screaming. Whether there be physical violence, I don't know, Jake, but, but what, it certainly would be something out of an old newsreel. Or, as you say, Jeff, one of, one of your novels. Uh, I know you, you weren't, in fact, there, but it sure sounds like you were. So, uh, so thank you for taking the time to, to walk me through a few of those historical parallels. Well, next time we'll talk about the 1912 Republican Convention, which is even more tumultuous. All right, Jake, thanks. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Greenfield, his latest book is If Kennedy Lived, the first and second terms of President John F. Kennedy. That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. Tell us what you think of the show by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. This is a new podcast, so make sure you hit subscribe while you're there to get every episode as soon as it comes out. You can find me on Twitter at Jacob Weed. You can find John D. Domenico in front of Trump Tower. Please put something in his cup. I have to tell you something. This guy sounds a lot like me. It's very, very scary. I hope he doesn't call Melania. Today's show was produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Stephen Colbert made me laugh last night with this one about a contested GOP convention. I'm Jacob Weisberg talk to you on the next episode of Trumpcast. Of course, Republicans don't like calling it a brokered convention. They have a much nicer name. From an RNC perspective, we're going to continue to prepare for all contingencies, including an open convention. I think it's an open convention. We could have an open convention. I'm sorry, not brokered, open. Just like, honey, we don't have a broken marriage. We have an open marriage. (laughs) And I know... I know we never discussed it, but it'll spice things up, you know, to bring in an outsider. And I think we'll end up trusting each other even more. Stronger.